that is that is an incredibly important point. That's the that is a a, a massive thread in in my book uh, and my subsequent work that I've been doing um, as well. This idea that since we're having you know radically different experiences of reality, the idea of right and wrong and truth and good and evil, all the, all of these related concepts have to be shelved in in favor of a a very plastic elastic malleable way of understanding each other uh, to allow for people in a dialogic environment to be having different imagined experiences of reality where real things seem to be happening to them like getting sick from a pathogen for example maybe that's happening to some people and to other people those things don't even exist the, the stories i mean oh man this has been so amazing for me to to realize more and more of this like the stories that get embedded in our bodies are so intricate and infinitesimal there are so many of them and we don't know how they're changing reality at those levels right right we well, have no idea you know science is perfectly willing to talk about some kind of quantum reality with quantum entanglement and butterfly effects and chaos theory and complex adaptive systems and all of this stuff. And yet somehow we still live in a material reality, according to science. It's a joke. It's completely <laughs> a joke to me. They can't even identify the most basic particles and they just get smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. There's a a satire in the world cult and you and of an it's an article that i wrote years ago about this phenomenon where science just keeps chasing matter down into the void you know and it just never ever ends because there's no real fundamental particle when everything is just consciousness it, it feels to me like chasing chasing the ideal marketing message <laughs> <laughs> the ideal propagandization um, that when I was reading that part of the book, I was, I, I was like, what, what does this feel like to me? This feels like, this feels like if I'm, if I am the, the sort of fictional person writing this particular missive, what I'm really trying to do is I, I'm, I'm, I'm engaged in an act of persuasion. I want, I want people to listen to me and I want them to do what I tell them. <laughs> right. Right. And I want to control their thought process and the way, you know, they still go about manifesting or not manifesting, depending on their intention. Right. If you think you're in a material world, this is the thing. If you think that you're if you are if you buy into this idea that you live in a material reality, then you don't really have power in that environment. You, it, It's like it slows down. Or go ahead. I, I interrupted you. I was going to say that the in that scenario, the environment has the power. It's the it's the rigid, implacable situation that you find yourself in and subject to, because as opposed to something that you're actually generating or that we are generating. Right. Collect. Right. We we were taught. We were we 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 talked last time also about matter moving more slowly changing more slowly in waking life than it does in in a in 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 um sleeping dreaming but 
even reality in waking life, um, the dream traveling we're doing in our waking lives, we've had that slowed down massively by all the stories about how implacable it is, about how rigid those structures are when they need not necessarily be. Absolutely, absolutely. In the Castanadan shamanism, there's this idea that the, you have an assemblage point, which is a kind of way of focalizing your creative ability, how you kind of manifest your energy in it. When the assemblage point moves, it changes your perception of reality. And in a de facto way, it changes the reality just by changing, you know, the perception. But what has happened in the modern era is the, the collective assemblage point has moved to what is called the place of reason. And it's essentially gotten stuck there. And it's extremely hard to move it. And the place of reason is what you're describing, basically, this place where everything seems to be in a priori given situation that can't be changed it is what it is and there are immutable laws that you have to deal with the funny thing is all of that is simply a point of perception there are other points of perception that contradict that very notion or those very notions so um in in the way that that the intuitive network has evolved. Um, one of the things that 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 was happening early on that we just we had to come to terms with was that we had been so cut off from other structures, from other influences. Well, influences we wanted to be in contact with anyway. Other resourcing, other understanding, scientific literature, languaging. So we had to rebuild our neural structures on our own without being able to check whether they matched others experiences of those things and so we it it, it there there was it, there's sort of like a really pure evolution of it from a certain standpoint although it's really messed with in all of these other ways and the the there's a plane going overhead and it's changing my thought process that's very interesting um the the way that we have had to do that has given us a standpoint from which to 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 differentiate from what we are told that's been really helpful but also really confusing and often upsetting because we didn't realize reality worked that way that 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 we could be telling stories amongst ourselves that would have so much power even if they radically differed from what we were being told by other sources mm. wow i think i think you just are touching on what freaks people out about this model that i'm proposing it's that there's just no touchstone there's there's nothing there's nothing that constitutes a norm that we can all agree on oh unless we establish it in relationship with one another right that's what i'm getting at that's the only even even the even the the touchstones are dialogic imaginings brought about through linguistic interaction yeah and they they can always be changing they 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 can always be mutable i have 
so so because of all of that that I just described, um, one of the things is that I have sort of a challenging relationship with the word reason, with the word reasoning, um, because it is generally connected to the the mechanical world kinds of reasoning that we've been taught. And yet I and others have this experience of reasoning ourselves to a position that is diametrically opposed with other people who consider themselves reasonable, reasoning people. <laughs> yes, yes. Mm -hmm. It's, I just made a note. I'm a little, you know, my little uh, note taking uh, software on my computer, controllable individuals who think they're not. Right. Oh, so all of these people who are being super reasonable and are are looking at things, whether they're truthers or scientists or whatever they might be, who think that they are standing in a place of truth and accuracy, logic, objectivity, they're living in a fantasy world, Neo. It's very sad. It's it's very it's difficult to process emotionally. It's painful for the body that that's happening. We, we've been talking recently about um, how professionals um, in professional networks have generally been funded and facilitated by uh, financial and economic interests that are aligned with colonial imperialist trafficking interests. And so what professionals are generally taught is you have now been provided with the most powerful set of tool sets and you know what you're doing and you can be really proud of yourself and you're going to be able to make a lot of money and you just got to make sure to keep your, keep your licenses active, keep your accreditations where, you know, at the level that they're supposed to be and you're going to be someone who is respected and you have made it in life. You, you've succeeded and, and this, is, this is where you have strived to be your whole life. And they've been mistrained. They've been miseducated so that when they go into the world to help people, they'll be able to help the people who are sort of most accessible to them, that they can help in certain ways. And then there's a, a threshold of severity and trauma beneath which they have absolutely no idea what to do. And when they're confronted with that, what they're being confronted with is that they've been lied to, is that their professional training has erased the bottom half of the colonial imperialist balance sheet, the bottom half of the capitalist balance sheet. We're doing really great up here. We're just going to ignore all of these bleeding broken bodies that our success is built on. And so, there, I mean, one of the first touch points for us was the suicide rate of, of medical professionals. Um, right. And like, why, why are doctors committing suicide? Well, uh, here's a really good reason. They've been trained in ways that actually cause them to ignore and have to protect themselves from the most harmed people, the people who need the most. These are people who went into their profession to help others. Yes. And yet what they've been trained in causes them to dissociate, oh, goosebumps, dissociate from the people who most need their help where they could be making the most powerful difference. That's hard. 
that's so hard. My prayers and love for those people dealing with that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I have some personal experience when I first got really sick that set me off on my regenetics journey of self-healing. I, I, you know, I was having all kinds of bizarre physical symptoms. I mean, really bizarre, like allergies and autoimmune types of symptoms and um, twitches and spasms and just all kinds of craziness. And of course, uh, I went to just a doctor in, you know, my local uh, uh, health clinic. And I was told I was depressed and prescribed antidepressants, you know, that was, that was the solution. And, and uh, wow, that was, that was such an amazing wake up call to the inadequacies of the, of the medical system. And then as time went by, I began seeing similar inadequacies across all professional disciplines. I mean, to even use the word discipline is pretty funny because you're being disciplined in your thinking when you go into any of those. Right. Um, and so I, I think this is one of the reasons I never, I never really came out the, the, the other side of graduate school and had to drop out. Yes, I was really sick, but, but I couldn't stand the thought policing that went on at that level. And this was decades ago before it got really bad. I mean, it's really, really bad now. And it was already pretty bad then. And I just, I realized I can't, if I do this and I, and I enter this profession and professions, another funny thing, it's almost like confessing something to profess like, you know, I'm a bad person or, you know, I'm, I'm not an individual, whatever. I don't know what you're professing, but, um, I realized that my mind would never be my own again and my creativity would never be my own again. And it does seem that that there are people who feel a lot of thriving in those structures if it happens to be aligned well enough for them, but do they really want to silo themselves in environments that would wipe out their ability to broaden beyond that? that that's so unfortunate to me. And there, there are certainly professionals. There are some wonderful, wonderful professionals out there, but they are struggling with their professional networks. They're not sure if they can maintain their livelihood. They're not sure. They're not sure if they even want to maintain their licensing. Like there are all of these things going on for professional people where they're having to make very hard decisions about who they want to be in the world and what it's going to take for them to show up as themselves. Yep, that's exactly where all of this is gone. And I just picked up on it early on when I, I saw, you know, to be what it really meant to be a, an academic in the humanities was to essentially become inhuman in many ways. It was, to, it, it, it was exactly, it was to drop any kind of um, humanism, any kind of uh, any of, of the older of the older ideas about our identity as people as creators you know uh, things that we had inherited from you know like the 1800s and romanticism and that sort of thing all of that was being eviscerated and the study of literature for example was basically turning into a pseudoscience uh, based in kind of sociology and psychology it had no longer anything to do with creativity uh, the creative process, the hero's journey, none of it, all of that was bunk. And you had to subscribe to these 
soulless ideas to actually find a place in the academy. Yeah. And, and this was five years ago, you know, I mean, it's, that's how, a quarter how, of a century, 25 years ago, you know, 25 years ago, that, it was already happening. And, and, you know, I remember having uh, conversations with other people who were working on their PhDs and their dissertations and, uh, you know, especially, I'm, I have to say, especially the men, we, we were really, uh, we were really um, stuck between a rock and a hard place in a lot of ways, because you had to almost become like a, like a like a feminist and communist to succeed in academe and and those things by some pretty toxic definitions i mean there are people who use those words in a very different way than the establishment has used them yeah i'm i'm saying that um and the, regardless, regardless whatever spectrum you are on on um you know with respect to those terms they are really narrow boxes for thinking and behaving and writing and publishing. And so they're basically giving you an identity that you have to adopt for yourself. Yeah. And under no circumstances, in my imagination, can that ever be a good thing? Well, no, we have to be able to learn from one another. We have to be able to have our natural emergent creative processes about what's happening in relationship. But I, I mean, I this is sort of a funny thing that I have with words too. Um, I mean, am I in relationship with somebody who's controlling me, who's trying to control me? Is that relationship it's maybe a kind of relationship but it's not relationship it's not it's not relationality that is true that has integrity it doesn't include me right if i'm being controlled by it and so it strips away the very basis of of life energy is relational Absolutely. We're talking about cults again. Academics is a massive cult and it has many subcults in the different disciplines and it's related to other subcults and the different professions. It just goes on and on and on. And no, you are really not included in a cult. You're never included in a cult. You are co-opted by a cult. You're turned into a bot. Oh, by a cult. You're turned into a bot. You are, you are, um, restricted um and and loosed your energy is extracted from you your power and this is back to what do i do you know when in, in in the world and um how do i take back my power so in in the world colton you as you know i i have strategies for things not to do and strategies of things to do in relation to generating or accumulating more personal power. And there's a lot of things that you don't do. You pull out of as many cults as you can, especially early on when you're trying to gather your personal power. When you do that, there's a natural accumulation of power.